Well, hello, if you're brand new, my name is David. Uh, if you've been out all summer long and you're like, so what do we do now? Uh, we've been talking about uh, a letter that was written, put into the Bible. It's known as Philippians. But we've been talking more specifically about joy. So if you've ever found yourself going, yeah, I just don't have much joy, then go get caught up online. You can watch. But, but, but more importantly, we're going to finish it. And I'm telling you, this applies to us. So all locations, I got a question. Don't answer it out loud. I just want you to process. This will be fun for the time being. Uh, here we go. Uh, have you ever had a need, a legitimate need, where you're like, I, whether, it's, whether it's money or, or some help carrying something or directions, you, you had this need and someone saw the need and helped you with the need. Just think about the emotions you experienced when you're like, I need, and you fill in the blanks out, and someone met that need. It's a big deal. If you, well, speaking of school, if you ever showed up to a new school and you're like, I'm supposed to get here, and you're like, I don't know where that is, and someone saw you and was like, here, let me help you go there. If you ever had something break, someone came over and lent you uh, whatever to fix it or this or that, or if you've ever just flat out didn't have money and someone helped you there, someone maybe bought a meal, there's these emotions when someone meets a need, you're like, man, that's good. It's a good day. You go from like, oh, no, to, hey, this is great. I now believe in humanity again. This is awesome. So those are good emotions. That's joy. Let's flip it. Have you ever had, don't raise your hand and do not speak out loud on this one, have you ever had a legitimate need, a moment you're like, I need and you fill in the blank and you were completely ignored on it? Uh, people may have even seen it. You're like, do you not see me on the side of the road and, or school or maybe it's with your family? And you have this moment, you're like, it's a need, it's legit, and everyone else seems to be minding their own business, and you're like, and, and, it, go, and it literally, it goes unmet. If you've ever been there, I imagine you have. You found yourself facing a different kind of emotion, a different kind of thing going on. And, and here's what Paul writes in the letter, and this is what we're going to talk about. Our, our needs can mess with our joy. The, the negative part of it, where, where you're like, I need this, I, 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 this is something going on, and, and it begins to, before you even address it with anyone else, it begins to mess with your joy, where all of a sudden you're like, this day's not near as good as it was before this broke, or this happened. And whether you were a, a Christian or not, every one of us wrestles with going through difficult times and maintaining joy in the midst of it, and your needs are one of the things that go after this. So the guy I was telling you about who wrote this letter that we've been talking about all summer, Philippians. He wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. That's why we call it Philippians. And he writes this and begins to bring up something that we need to address. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Now, at first, like, that seems kind of passive-aggressive. Like, so nice that you think about me again. No, no, he's being very, like, straightforward. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, we don't know exactly what he means here, just to give you full disclosure. We don't know if they didn't know where he was or what he was going through or if they didn't have enough whatever he needed to provide, but here's what we do know. 
He's saying to a church, writing a letter to a church, to a group of Christians, saying, you knew about my needs and you paid attention to my needs. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you showed concern for me and that's awesome. You knew what I needed and we know historically they actually sent this church, sent him money so he could start other churches. That's what we know was playing out. But he gets more descriptive and annoying, just to tell you. Not that I was ever in need. Uh, okay. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. That's annoying. When you read that in the Bible about someone else going, well, good for you. Okay. I'll help us be honest here, okay? When we read stuff like that, we're like, I don't relate. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So I'll confess on behalf of all of us. Here, here we go, and you can join me if you'd like to confess. Okay, but I'm going to raise my hand. Who has ever learned about a Christian in the Bible or a person in the Bible, and you've seen the response to something, and it's been like epically awesome, and you're like, I'm annoyed by that because I can't attain that. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I'm going to confess on all of our behalf, like, yes, that good for you, Paul, that you can just be content when you're starving. Some of us get crazy when we're starving. And he's like, hungry, full, lots of money, no money, I'm good. And many of us, can we admit that when we read stuff like that or hear a preacher talk about that, maybe you're expecting me to say, hey, here's today's lesson. Learn to be content. And you're like, sure. See, many of us, like, we, and we push it away. Come on. We push these lessons away. We're like, yeah, yeah, Paul was able to do that, but I got different circumstances going on. And we begin to say, I don't relate to Paul who wrote this. I don't relate to him, so just move on. Well, let me help you. Paul was just like you and I. Paul had incredible moments that were awesome, top of the world. And he had really low moments. In fact, I've preached a sermon on where moments that worry literally got a hold of him and made him abandon what God wanted him to do. Paul had moments that were just epic and, and surreal and like, I can't believe this is going on. And then moments like, I can't believe this is going on. He had moments that were horrible, tragic, and moments that were beautiful. Up and down. Up and down. Up and down. That's Paul's life. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That's your life, too. Most of us would say this. If you don't, you don't know the description of this, it's called country music life. We're all like, yeah, yeah. If, I don't know if you listen to country music. If you do, I mean, I guess you have that right, but whatever. Uh, country music has a stereotype, and, and we joke about it. Well, a stereotype isn't really a stereotype if it's true. And if you look at the lyrics of country music, you will learn this, that it really is pretty good at describing this kind of life. Like, life is wonderful. Then the next verse, it's horrible. Everyone left, and it's all broken. That's country music. And Paul is describing to us, I have this kind of life. I have this kind of life. I have a country music life. <laughs> and so do you. And what we know is not all of us are responding to this in the same way. And that roller coaster 
is doing things to you, and one of the things it's doing is robbing your joy. And Paul writes a letter to a church saying, hey, I have this kind of a life, so do you, and I've learned how to have joy through the whole ride. He learned that no matter what circumstance he found himself in, it did not matter if it was great or bad, he could have joy. I'm not sure we've all landed there yet. So I'll ask you a question. Does your need for today, and you might have a list of needs. Maybe I should have put do your needs, but um, does your need for today determine your joy? For many of us, we would have to be like, oh, don't ask me that. Many of us wake up and uh, the air conditioner breaks or the car breaks or a kid breaks and we're like, oh no, or maybe you go to work and it doesn't play out the way you wanted it to. But many of us have these moments where it's up and down, up and down. And, and Paul brings up, by the way, not just an emotional need, you know that he's talking about what you and I call real life. Like, I got bills. I got grocery bills. I got stuff I got to do and take care of. And he's thanking this church for helping engaging that. I hope you're willing to have an open conversation like this where you and I, we're faced with these circumstances of life and they well, does stuff to our joy. It's fascinating to me how much, how much hope you and I put into, let's just say it as, as, as in money. I wonder, I wonder if you're like me. I've had thoughts where, where literally I'll, I'll talk this way to God. God, there's like this amount, and I give him the amount, and, and maybe I just think it. Maybe I don't talk to God about it. I just think it. But there's an amount. If you just had that, if you had that amount, then all of a sudden all would be well. If you just had that amount, like that, that one amount, if you landed with that, then basically your problems would be good. Life would be good. You'd be on the top of life, and this would be amazing, that amount. And many of us have bought into this illusion that, that money can, can save us. And if you've been there, you've found some things that your joy begins to dissipate, almost dissolve, because you're looking at something far off going, I wish I could get to that life. Many of us are treating money, frankly, like it's a savior, and there's a dark place that I have to lead you to. I know it sounds weird for a pastor to say, but there's a dark place I need to basically reveal to you that if you're depending on money to actually bring you joy, well, here's the dark place. When money is your savior, greed becomes your attitude. When the only thing you need to be happy or joyful or whatever good word you want to put there is a certain dollar amount, then you're going to end up landing greed. Now, I know many of us are like, oh, I'm not greedy, right? By definition, greed is simply a lust for more. For whatever reason you're lusting for more, it's a lust for more. And most of us would reject the idea that any of us are greedy. I can tell you the true danger, the dark place that I need to take you. Greed shuts down your joy. If you and I don't wrestle this and take on this idea that greed might be a part of our lives, if we don't do that, then we will live a joyless life. Then whatever needs arise will begin to rob us every single day, all the time. Greed, wow. You know, frankly, I've never asked anybody or had anybody ever confess to me, David, <laughs> I'm greedy. Every survey I've ever taken of anybody, like, do you ever feel like guinea greeds in your life? Everyone's like, no, I'm pretty good with that one. I'm, shh, I'm good. 
And I know that most of us would say, I'm glad this sermon's happening because I will share it with the person that needs to have it shared with, and this is good for them, but not for me. And I know many of us would never confess and own that there's some greed in our lives, so I thought I would use a different word that perhaps you might say, ooh, okay, maybe I'm there. Word, scarcity. Most of us would never say that we're greedy, but scarcity, oh shoot. There isn't enough of what I need, and we live there. Scarcity. Do you know when you were introduced and when you began to behave out scarcity? About the age of three or four. I, I wasn't there with you, uh, but I can tell you I've had enough kids in the house. Around three or four, someone gave you, it was either animal crackers, goldfish crackers, or a toy. And then there's this moment you're like, this is awesome. This is, this is awesome. This is mine. Right? And you begin, you begin to have this, all of a sudden you had nothing, by the way. This just sort of, you started with nothing, and now your, your bowl or your hands are full of these amazing crackers, by the way, that you're just like, this is awesome. But, but then the concept of, of sharing it with little Joey was like, no way. And fights begin to ensue in preschool. And then there was a teacher. Or, or a parent or someone brought up the lesson, the ultimate lesson of sharing. It's a stupid lesson, isn't it? Right? Like you remember when, many of us like, I remember that lesson. Or maybe you've taught that lesson where you're like, hey, it's not okay to punch another kid in the face to get more, share. And we begin to like, share share. I mean, like, yeah, people should learn that. The problem is all of us were taught it, not all of us learned it. And many of us, since the age of three, have dabbled in and out, in and out, in and out of living in scarcity. And if you live in scarcity, it's really tough to have joy. <laughs> I've not seen someone go, you know what, I'm just really at peace and things are good, while living in scarcity. Not sure that we share well. <laughs> and uh, forgive me, I'm not trying to put us all in elementary school, but I think we all just need to have a, a moment to return to that. In fact, here's what I thought I'd share with you. Uh, th this letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, where Paul is complimenting them for, for basically saying, hey, you guys are like not perfect, but you're really good at sharing. Good job. And so he, he writes to them and tells them that, that they've shared with them and just like, hey, good job, good job. But he does something that we often don't connect when we read the Bible. Let me help connect it. Paul wrote other letters. In fact, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, who we call the Corinthians, and he writes to them and he brags about the church in Philippi, and the reason he brags is because the church in Corinth is not so good at sharing. That's why we as parents use other people's examples. So here we go. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now again, you're like, uh, what? Talking about the church in Philippi, the, the Philippians. He's talking like God has used them. Now here's how. They are being tested by many troubles. Huh? They, he's saying they live the country music life. That's what he's saying in our terms. Uh, they have many troubles, and they are very poor. First, you're like, okay, not great. But they are also filled 
with abundant joy. Now, do not disconnect stuff. Yes, it just said that they have troubles, the country music life, that they are poor, yet they have abundant joy. Why? Which has overflowed in rich generosity. This should begin, I think this is the point in which we begin to get messed with by the Holy Spirit where we're going, I don't have much joy, I have a lot of needs, and look at this church's response. He's bragging about this church in Philippi, going, they have troubles, they're struggling, and they decided, in order to have joy, to give. Let's keep reading. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Some of us are like, that is not responsible. That's like a good South Dakotan approach, right? Like, that is just not responsible. Okay. And they did it of their own free will. If you don't know what that means, that means the pastor did not guilt them. No, no commercial with little puppy dogs and really sweet music. There was no guilt trip at all. It was just like, hey, do this, this is good to do. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, here's what you may not get. You gotta get this. There are churches who need to be started, and in order to start the church, there need to be money. So what you have is he's bragging about this church who's having troubles, who's poor, and here's the response is, in their poverty and in their troubles, they are begging, can we please send you money? Uh-huh. You're reading correctly. That's their response. Perhaps that's where their joy comes from. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. Now, if you've been in church long enough, you might think you know where I am going. And you might say, why did we go to church on the weekend that the pastor talked about giving? Because he's going to guilt us, and then we're going to have this epically, I'm going to feel weird, and this and that. And perhaps you're even having arguments right now with me. And all. No, 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 no. That's not the goal of this. The goal is that you and I would have joy in our hearts. And Paul brings up at the end of his letter going, hey, you've got to catch this because this is a big deal. You're going to have needs and you're going to see other needs and it's connected to your joy. You've got to approach this right. So I could spend some time talking to you about some stuff or I can just read to you the approach that Paul took that I am going to take and we take as a church. I am not commanding you to do this. That's called letting you off the hook. We're pretending like we don't know what we're really talking about. He just said, this church in Philippi, they're amazing. Like they are poor, they have troubles, and they are just giving to start other churches. They are giving and they are giving. They're amazing. By the way, I'm not commanding you to do that. You should feel some like, he said it, it's on video now. Now we, but, but listen, this is profound. Because whether you call Fountain Springs Church your home or not, you need to know something about us. I will never, nor will I allow any other preacher that ever steps on this stage ever command you to ever give to this church. 
It is not our heart. It is not our motivation. It is not our intention. If anyone tells you that's, the, that's what happens, they're making it up, literally. We will always love you. Anyone and everyone is always welcome. There is not a transaction that goes on at this church. We do not leverage rich people. We do not look at people who give a lot of money and say, what privileges would you like? We do not operate that way. We do not function that way. That is not the heart of this church. We take what Paul says here. I'm not commanding you. But I am. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Okay. He just wrote to a church full of Christians who were not very generous and says, I'm not commanding you to be generous, but this is a test. And many of us get in the trap, especially in church world, where we'll be like, I don't need to give to God or the church at all because we're not under the law anymore. And we get into kind of arguments that are immature. Like, okay, so you might be able to win that law, but it's still a test. Whether you like it, whether I like it, whether you trust me, whether I trust you, it's still a test about how genuine our love is for God. So here's the test, in case you missed it. You're like, what is, what is this test? It's very simple, actually. Um, do you give to God? Don't answer out loud. It's yes or it's no. And your answer to this does not, does not change how welcome you are in this church. Doesn't change, it doesn't affect it. But it does test how genuine your love is for God. So why? Because at first glance, it doesn't make sense that the creator of everything, the God of all, the number one, only God, that he would say, hey, I'd like for you to give to me. Why in the world from the beginning, and you can look at the very beginning, in fact, the first murder was committed over this issue. Like, what in the world, why give to God? What's the purpose and value of giving to God? What does God need that I have? Wrong question. Our heart is always the issue. And here's what God has always known that many of us push back on. Giving shuts down greed. And God has always known that, that you and I would struggle with greed, and I know many of us, but I'm not greedy. It shuts down scarcity. It shuts down fear. If you and I will lean in and be like, you know what, I'm struggling, I don't have enough, I feel poor, I've got all these troubles, then what God would say, make sure you're giving to me because this will begin to build joy and you will see a life that you don't think you can see. What I, what I don't want is for this to be perceived as a fundraiser. What I do want you to know is that I care about your heart and the genuineness of your relationship with God. And according to God, what we give to him, how we give to him, the posture we take with that is very revealing. Hmm. If you go back to the letter written to the church of Philippi, at the moment, I have all I need. If you're wondering, like, is this a ploy? Is this a trick? No, no, he's, he's not asking for more. At the moment, I have all I need and, and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with the name of your next child, Epaphroditus, right? Just write that down. Now, here's what I want to teach you because here's what I'm, I'm shocked by. This is not what I'm about to teach. 
I'm amazed by the amount of people who have never been taught what I'm about to teach. Because you might have heard, I might have even alluded to it, it just kind of came out of my mouth, where I talk about giving to God, the way you give to God, you're like, well, how do I meet up with God, and like, do I send him a check? How do I, like, how do I give to God? And I've talked about, you. Well, you give to the church, that's how you give to God, and you're like, are you making that up? Because that's, that's a pastor thing to say. No. They are, the gifts that they're giving to this church, to Paul, to start churches, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice, not to Paul, that is acceptable and pleasing to God. This is not a fundraiser that the church has designed. Here's what Jesus said to the disciples. Go show people like crazy who I am. And churches began to pop up in Jerusalem and beyond and beyond and beyond. And then you and I find, well, we find us. I'm telling you, your level of joy is connected to what's going on with your needs, but even deeper than that, your level of generosity to God. Now, I've got to give you a warning in the midst of this because some of us have been taught stuff that's just flat-out junk. Where someone says, oh, I know why you give to God. It's so that you can all of a sudden get blessed and get rich. You watch too much TV, uh, it'll tell you that. And there is, there is literally what they call the prosperity gospel that's even built on, do you want to be rich? Do you want to have all the money you've ever dreamt of? Well, then give to God. And that seems like a, well, it just doesn't seem right. And you and I wrestle that even when we respond to God and say, all right, all right, I'm gonna give to God our motivation well, we struggle with it, and so I want to share with you a parable. Now, i got to give you a disclaimer. This parable is not from the Bible, but it fits. Here's how the parable goes. There was a king. The king was just hanging, you know, doing what kings do, sitting in their chair, seeing people during the day. Well, unbeknownst to him at the moment, someone was coming in to visit with him. It was a gardener. The gardener had been out in his garden, was like picking all the vegetables, and, and he picked a carrot, but the carrot was like huge. Well, here. This was much like the carrot, probably without the face. And, and the gardener, the way the parable goes, picks this eno enormous carrot, and is like, this is, this, is a, this is the biggest carrot that I've ever grown. This is amazing. And what the gardener decided to do was set up an appointment with the king and went and visited the king, and he was going to give the carrot to the king just to honor the king. Not because the king needed a carrot. So he sets up the appointment, he goes and visits with the king, and he's like, king, I mean, this really doesn't even need words. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> and he gives the king the giant carrot and turns around and begins to walk out the king interrupts and says, oh, oh, sir, 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 stop, stop for a second. When the king says that, you stop. And he turns around, almost fearful, but wondering what was about to play out, and the king says, hey, I know where your land is. I'd like to give you the land next to it that I own. You can have it. You are so good at gardening. You need to garden more land. This is not for me. I just want you to have it. I'm going to give you this land. This, and, and the gardener's like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. He leaves about the, as ecstatic as you possibly can be. I mean, he went from here's a carrot to now he owns more land. This is absolutely amazing. Well, as it goes, according to the parable, a nobleman overheard this whole thing. I mean, it's a king. It's a public conversation. He's like, if that dude brought a dirty old giant carrot, 
And uh, that guy got more land. Oh, oh, I know this system. So the nobleman, well, he brought this, but not a stuffed animal, just so you know. He raised horses, and, and he raised one of the best horses that he had ever raised before, and he knew where it was, and so he went and got the best horse. He brought it back to the king. He's like, king, this is the best horse, the fastest, strongest horse that I have ever raised. Here you go. <laughs> and just like the gardener, he then turned around and uh, started to walk out, kind of waiting. But the, the king never said, hey, hey, and he began to see a bit of a temper tantrum forming in the nobleman, getting upset of what was going on. Like, he had this whole system, and, and the king noticed that uh, the nobleman was upset. So he stopped him, and he says, let me tell you something. And here's what the parable says in quote form. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Many of us, when we approach giving to God, I'm not sure we approach it selflessly. Be careful with that. Take it as a warning that we don't give to God in order to get. We give to God because God is good. God is amazing. And so we give. And if, by the way, you just need to know as a church, we talk about giving because we talk about people's hearts. If you want a pastor who won't talk about giving, then you probably need to find another church because giving is so connected to your heart that it matters and I got to bring it up but here's what you do need to know we don't ever want to be a church that hides things right and I wonder if you ever wonder when I give to God and I give to this church what are we doing with that? Well, I gotta tell you what we're doing. We're actually taking what I've read to you and implying it quite literally. Where our church has decided to change a lot of what we're doing to where we are set now on getting churches where there are not churches. Getting churches, representations of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We are trying to get them everywhere we possibly can. If you've been around a while, you even know we have a list but I invited a couple guys to join me because you need to know what's about to play out because it's about to play out very, very, very soon. In the near future, we're going to launch locations in the nearby and we're gonna go out and out and out and out and out. And I wanted you to see and know how real this is. So this is Josh. Um, he's been on our team for a while now. Um, we're going to transition him out of his normal job, and he's going to become the location pastor for a downtown Rapid City location that will launch in the middle of October on a Tuesday, by the way. Like, can churches do Tuesday? Yes. Will God show up? I believe so. We talk about as a church that the weekend has changed and evolved and, and not everybody because of work and different things can go to church on the weekend. And so we're going to put a Fountain Springs Church downtown Rapid City and that will launch on that Tuesday in the middle of October. Now that's not the only thing. Hopefully you're good at deductive reasoning. They're like, yeah, but there's another guy up there too. This is Nicholas. Nicholas was not on our team and has now joined our team. And we are going to launch a Southern Hills location, hopefully around Easter of 
2020. That's in the spring for those of you who are like, when is Easter in April time? In the southern hills, we hope to put and are planning to put a, a, a Fountain Springs church church there so the people would know who Jesus is. I wanted you to see that this is not a game that we are playing. This is not a theory that we're discussing. This is a mission that we are on as a church. So we're taking what the Bible says, where church people, Christians, gave to the church so that people would know who Jesus is. These guys are extremely brave, by the way. If you've never started something brand new, um, try it sometime. You'll know how scary it is. So I think we should uh, just applaud them. I know it doesn't do much, but thanks, guys. Um, if you haven't been around long enough, I hope you'll stick around. Our heart as a church is not to fundraise, is not to bleed people dry of cash. The intentions are not to drive crazy, money-hungry kind of sermons and pe- The heart is that anyone and everyone in the Black Hills would know who Jesus is and beyond. The future that lies ahead of us are those locations plus more, plus about 50 church plants that need to happen in our region. So you need to know that when you give to this church, you are giving to God and our intentions are to be good stewards of it and to make sure the gospel gets everywhere possible that we possibly can go. But let me bring it back to your side of the table. I'm not about to command you to do anything. But what I hope you will do is take Paul's words, I believe, directly from God and press them into your own life. Do you love God? And how genuine is that love? And he provided us with a test. It's all to do with what you and I give. I pray, I pray that if your current love for him is not very genuine, that you will dive in and apply this and grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I believe, uh, as usual, Lord, this topic, this conversation that gets brought up over and over and over in the Bible and over and over and over in churches, God, I believe that it can bring about a tension that I think the devil stirs up. Lord, I pray for those right now who would connect to words like poor, connect to words like troubles. And Lord, for those who are taking those and excusing why they don't give you anything, Lord, would you just lean in, provide grace and truth. Lord, for those who are being incredibly generous to you, who are giving to you, Lord, would you encourage them as well? Lord, I pray for us as a church. Help us not to be the church in Corinth that needed a letter to tell us to start being generous. God, help us to be the church in Philippi that no matter what plays out in our lives, we will do anything and everything to show people who you are. Lord, do the supernatural with the sacrifices of fountain springers. 
for your glory, for your honor, that thousands will know who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.